Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. So as we turn to this new gospel, I want you to think a little bit about the anniversary we celebrated or, or observed yesterday, 9-11. For those of you who are old enough to have experienced that, that is still a very, very vivid memory. I can almost tell you the smell of the room that I was in when it all happened watching it on TV and the things that I remember the, the reporters trying to say to Peter Jennings on ABC News, Peter, the tower is gone. And he says, what do you mean it's gone? And they, they all, the reporters all, and all of us in the room I was in yelled, it's gone. That just seemed to be an inc- incomprehensible statement. And think of how much the world has changed in the last 20 years. How it, it has impacted personal families, it has impacted countries, nations, and the world and the way that we do business. It's impacted my own family. My younger brother is is a Marine, and he spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan, and and the the impact of war has, has lingered in his family. So we think about that in perspective. We have about 20 years between here and 9-11, and we see 9-11 very differently now than we would have even, you know, a year or even 10 years after the event. So most of the Gospels, when we think about the Gospels, most of them were written between 20 and 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's that kind of perspective. They, they already had time to think about it, what it meant. They had time to think about what the stories were that were important. And as, as there was that distance, about 20 years, 20, 30 years distance, we can think about John's gospel, the last gospel written, more like those of you who remember what it was like to grow up in the middle of World War II. So you, that's about the distance that happened between Jesus' resurrection and the writing of the Gospel of John. So I know people who went through that, but I didn't experience it myself. But I can tell you some very specific stories. I can, I, we, you know, we have the, the legacy of those who went through that. Some of you in this room went through that. We don't have very many people left who fought in World War II, but many of you remember what that was like. And that changed a, a whole system of the world. And that, that system has been changing and changing. That's where John was in the timeline. John has had more than 50 years to reflect on what it meant that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. So the, the, the original three, the synoptic gospels, they're all very similar. And they were talking about the immediate facts, what this, what this meant, what, what happened, what they saw, how this impacted people. John has been reflecting on this for a long, long time. I refer to this gospel as the wise old man's gospel. He's the one that has savored the truth. He's thought deeply, theologically about what this means. And and he's sifted through, like, what are the very most important, significant stories to tell about Jesus? 
and so it, in, this, in, the, in this perspective that he offers, he offers us a rich, beautiful, sometimes poetic understanding and explanation of who Jesus is and what it means to, to see him and as he's impacted the world. Think of how much changed in John's lifetime and how much has changed between John's lifetime and our lifetime. This ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors changed the world because of one man, one divine man, 100% God, 100% man. And that is the story that John wants to tell us. John, John gives us a very, very specific task that he wants to cover. It is uh, in John 20, 13. He says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, he says that he wants to, um, he wants to, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that in believing you would have life in him. So that is the power that we have, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And as we looked at the text today, that's what we're going to see as not just the Messiah right now, but the Messiah from years and years ago. So let's turn over first to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Turning over to Proverbs 8, you see remnants of that and foretelling of John. This is... Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, this is, this is wisdom speaking. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> long story, but um, so choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than the choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can, can compare with her. I, 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 wisdom, dwell with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And, and it goes on to say that, that uh, here it is, uh, it, Proverbs 8, 27, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds over above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the spirit sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was a craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And now finally turning over to the, the Gospel of John. You may want to turn in your pew Bibles with me because I'll be spending a lot of time here. The Gospel of John, the first 18 verses in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, 
The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who was received in his name, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt, lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is he, was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we all have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the amazing way John, the wise old man, decides to open his gospel. But as, as we open it, we ask the question first, why do we have four Gospels? Why do we need that? John, uh, there's a fascinating document that I never heard about until maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's called the Muratorian Canon. Uh, this document was, was probably written about 170 AD. It talks about the, the death of Pope Pius I as recent. He died in 157. So think about the, the time frame between John and Jesus' resurrection was about from here to World War II. And the time from John's death to, to the, the Muratorian canon was about the same chunk of time. And the canon describes what books should be in the New Testament. So many people think that it was decided by a big council of people in 350 AD, but actually it was all, the core of it was already coming together very soon after John's death. This, this canon lists 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the amazing, my favorite bit of it is when it talks about why John decided to write the gospel. Many of the disciples, or the, the Christians, the faithful, the bishops, were, were talking to him and saying, you're the last one. You're the last apostle. Can you please write down everything that you know? And John said, look, if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to fast and pray with me. So they fasted and they prayed, and, and one of the leaders named Andrew felt very strongly that, yes, John was the one that needed to write it all down. And so they came together and they, they, they shared what they, they, they got through prayer, and, and the message was John was going to write it, and he said he would write it with the help as, as long as other people read through it and, and, and were part of that process. So John was the writer. There was a community of people coming together through the power of the Holy Spirit to put this together. The Muratorian candidate goes a little bit further, and he says, and that's why all of the four Gospels have the same elements in them. The, the nativity, the life of Jesus Christ, the, the fact that he was died and ra raised again from the dead. And, and I love this line. It's the, and his twofold coming, his first coming in, the, in humility where he was despised, and then his second coming, which is yet to come, when he comes in glory. And, and they said, they, they quote then the, 
the line from 1 John when he talks about we were eyewitnesses, we were there. And as John tells this whole story of the gospel, they reaffirm that John was an eyewitness. So they, you can imagine John being one, one of the very last people who ever saw Jesus in person. And, and the church wants to capture his knowledge and understanding. And so that's why John decided to write this book and to put it together. And he, he is, as I said, he's very clear about his purpose from John 20. He, he says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you may have life. And you see that thread through the entire book of, of Scripture that that is what he's trying to do. He's trying to show you that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that it all matters. All that matters is belief, believing that he truly is the Son of God. And then, as, as Jesus says in uh, John 20, 21, and as the Father sent me, so I sent you. So we are not only the believers, but we are the sent ones as well. When we think about John, uh, one other video resource that I would really recommend to you that I find fascinating, it's called The Bible Project. The Bible Project has a bunch of YouTube videos. If you type in Bible Project John, you'll get a video that, that uses words and a, a, a graphic cartoon to, to illustrate how John is, is structured and what the main themes are. And it's, it's really helpful. I'm a very visual person. So to see all of this laid out, laid out helps me a lot. Um, and, and, and when I look at that, it's, it's like the most succinct outline I've ever seen of John. So when you think about John, it's kind of in two chunks, two big chunks. There's, there's the, the, the life with the miracles and the controversies. You think of the woman at the, a woman at the well and the um, Nicodemus, you must be born again, those kinds of things. And then the second chunk is, uh, is Jesus when he is, is about to face the cross. So you have this, this huge, long pastoral prayer, the, his sermon right before he goes to the cross, and then the, his crucifixion and resurrection. And between those two parts, we have three sort of moments. So the first moment is the, the, the prologue that we just read. It's the introduction to the whole thing. The pivotal moment between the two parts is Lazarus. You remember Lazarus who, who died and then Jesus uh, called out, Lazarus comes forth, come forth and four days after he'd been in the tomb, Lazarus arises from the dead. And even as that happens with Lazarus, it says then the Jews were out to kill Jesus. What does Jesus do instead of running away? He turns his face toward Jerusalem and comes into Jerusalem knowing that he's about to give his life for the, all of the people. So we have the prologue, we have the, the Lazarus sort of pivot point, and then finally at the very end we have an epilogue that, that is talking about what life is going to be like after uh, Jesus is gone. He's blessing, he forgives Peter, and, and he gives them a calling of what they're supposed to do next. So as we look at that prelude, the kind of the prologue, the first big chunk, Lazarus, the second big chunk, and then the epilogue, we're going to see all of these major themes that go through the book. You see lots of sevens. There are seven signs that start with the turning the water into wine. There's, and, and the last sign, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are all of these different, the seven signs. Jesus also loves the words Ego ami, ami. It, it, it means I am. So this is a phrase that as much as we use I am, 
That was not used in the Jewish culture because it reflected the sacred name of God. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh, which means I am that I am. So people didn't use God's name even in normal speech. But Jesus Christ uses it over and over. Seven times he uses it as attached to a metaphor. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. Seven times he does that. Seven times he just uses it in normal speech. The, the most striking of which is when he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and they say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, ego emi, I am. And they all hit the dirt. It's such a powerful statement that it caused people to fall to the ground. So John is highlighting these things, not just that Jesus is using the phrase, I am, but he's claiming to be God as he uses that phrase. We'll see these, these different elements as we go through the whole scripture, as we see that Jesus Christ is not just a, a teacher, he's not just a prophet, he is not just a messiah. He is God himself. Through the, the, the mystery of the Trinity, there is God, and Jesus is part of God. He's, he's, he's there. He's present from the very, very beginning. So now we look at the beginning of this, this prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is trying to, to say, he's intentionally paralleling that, that passage in Genesis where, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, even before that, the Word was there, and the Word was what was spoken. John chooses to use the word logos here. It's not just a word like, you know, strawberry jam. It's a, it's a word that is, you think, logic. It's the, it's the ordering principle. It is speaking order into the world. Out of the chaos, God brings order. So, so the logos is more than just, I give you my word. It is, it is the, the being of God. And Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it actually, or excuse me, in the Greek, it actually inverts the, when it says God, the word was with God, and the word was God, the, the Greek wants to emphasize the God part of that statement. And it says the word was with God, and God was the word. That's the most important phrase that John has here, God was the word. He wants people to know right up front, we are not just talking about human, we are talking about a divine being. And, and he's, he's trying to say that, that he was there from the beginning, like it, it says in Proverbs 8, he was there, the creative force that was there behind it all. He was, he was there when the, everything was made. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. What's the first thing God does in the beginning? He says, let there be light, and there was light. And now we see the first thing that Jesus Christ does. He, he, he brings life to the world, and he brings light in the darkness. Jesus Christ was the light that came into the world, and the darkness, it says in 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. It's interesting to think about if you have a very dark room and you light one very tiny candle, that darkness is not going to overshadow that candle. No matter how much bigger the darkness is than the light, 
that light is going to persist. It's going to, 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 to be stronger than the darkness that's trying to hide it. And we see foreshadowing even to the crucifixion. It seemed like in that moment that the darkness overcame Jesus. But that wasn't the end of the story. The light shone forth from that tomb on Easter Sunday when Jesus Christ was raised again from the dead. In the middle of this beautiful, poetic explanation of what is going on, this meditation on the profound mystery, he inserts this thing about John the Baptist. And, and in some ways that feels abrupt. It feels a little bit strange that there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Why did John, the gospel writer, decide to insert John the Baptist right in the middle of this beautiful poetic thing? Leslie Newbigin, one of my favorite writers and theologians, he points out that this is not just saying that there's this beautiful image of a thing out there. He's saying this amazing, incredible thing out there happened in real time with real people. It is a real moment in history. John the Baptist, they knew John the Baptist, they knew that where he baptized in the Jordan, they knew that story, and that was the moment that everything broke in. John himself, John the Baptist, was not, was not the light, he was not the final prophet, but he was the one pointing to the light, and he was located in time. He was incarnate. And as he witnessed to the light, then the, it goes back to Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, and his own did not receive him. So here Jesus made everything. He was the power of the word that, that spoke it all into being. And yet when he came, people did not recognize him. This is directly pointing out that there were many who were of the tribe of Abraham that rejected him. But he is also pointing out that anybody can be part of this story. Anybody can be brought in and transformed and changed forever by believing in God. This, this theme of being a child of God resonates both in the gospel, and we see it again in, the, in 1 John. I quote it all the time, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us by calling us his children. It's that same idea that, that God gave the right to become the children of God for all that believed. This, this power, this right that God gives is available to every single one of us. It's not because we are, are ethnically related to this bunch that's the chosen people. It's not that we have earned our way there. It's simply a matter of faith. And through faith, God gives us, faith is a gift, grace is a gift, and God enables us by his power and his favor through Jesus Christ, he enables us to be called the children of God. Then the amazing moment in 14, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This too, as many of these verses have been calling back to the Old Testament, this also does that. The, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ, divine, hanging out with God in heaven, then takes on human form. 
When did we see God dwell among us before? We see it when the Israelites, so, so they are in Egypt, they're being held slaves by Pharaoh. Moses comes in, let my people go. They, they, God miraculously parts the Red Sea and they're able to escape from Pharaoh and his armies. And then they get to the wilderness and they're like, okay, now what? <laughs> and Moses says, God, you know, if you don't go with us, then this whole thing is pointless. You have to go with us. And God provides a, a cloud of covering from the hot sun during the day and a pillar of fire by night so that they know God's with them. But, but Moses is like, can we do a little more than that? <laughs> and God decides to p literally pitch a tent in the middle of the people of God. So, so he, God tells them how to build the tabernacle, this, this mobile place of worship to go with the people. And the tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. So even in all the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God was present with the people of Israel. So this verse, he, he dwelt among us, the dwelt in, it literally means he pitched a tent with us. Jesus Christ does the same thing that God does in the wilderness, but this time it's not just the, kind of the, the fog of his glory, it's flesh, it's human form. Philippians 2 says, God did not consider equality with God something to be grabbed onto, but instead he let go of it. He took on the nature of a human, even the nature of a servant, humbling himself even unto death, even death on a cross. So Jesus Christ takes on the form of a human being. He becomes his human nature and his divine nature are, are, are eternally linked together. 100% God, 100% man, and he dwelt among us. God is no longer just out there somewhere. He's present, living and breathing and eating and, and drinking and sleeping and all of those things as a human being present. So as much as God, as John is focused on Jesus Christ being God, he's also wanting to remind us that that, that big thing out there became one of us so that God could communicate with us and, and literally put flesh on his promises, on, on the gift of his grace through Jesus Christ. As, as Jesus Christ becomes flesh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is, is saying, I was there. I was an eyewitness to this glory. I've seen it myself, and you can trust me that this is true. Then it goes back to John the Baptist. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, this is the one of whom it is said, he who comes after me has surpassed, has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. So, so the, the gospel writer is now trying to say, look at all we have received. Look at everything that is on offer. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. So John, this man, has seen Jesus, and therefore he has seen God the Father. He has experienced the love of God the Father, and he talks about this throughout the whole Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world. That is the love and the offer and the gift that God gives us through Jesus Christ. That's going to be the theme that we see throughout the book of John as we study it. So as we look at this beautiful, poetic, incredible, profound statement, where do we fit in? Where, do we, where are we placed in the middle of it? I, I would offer three things. One, we are children of God. What an incredible gift that we are given the grace to be called the children of God. Second, we are like John the Baptist, we are witnesses. We are the ones who can proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who can tell the story to, to be witnesses to God at work in our midst and at work in our own lives, at work in the world. We can be witnesses. We are children. We are witnesses. And finally, we are flesh. In, in John 20, 21, again, it says that God, that, that as the Father sends me, so I send you. So we are sent to be in the flesh and dwelling among us. We are the ones that are sent to the corner of Scott and Washington. We're the ones who are sent to your neighborhood and your street. We are the ones who are sent to, to your workplace on a Tuesday in the middle of meetings. You are the ones who embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is as we are sent, as we are, are, are captured by His grace and His glory, that we too can be witnesses. We can be the ones who are sent even as God has sent us. Brothers and sisters, we are full of grace upon grace. We are full of His glory. We are full of His Holy Spirit. And we can proclaim these things until that incredible second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we come together around the communion table today, we celebrate that the Word became flesh, even as real as, as the bread and the cup are. So Jesus was that real and is that real and will be that, that real for all of eternity. We, the embodied flesh of the body of Christ, can come together and join together and celebrate this so that we may be fed, so that we may proclaim his death until he comes again. Let me pray for us. Holy God, we do thank you and we praise you for who you are, for your power, for your glory. We pray, praise you for the incredible gift of Jesus Christ who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Lord God, we ask that you would be with us even now, that you would change the way we see the world because Jesus Christ took on flesh. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your grace and we pray that we would be people of grace, children of grace, and, and, and as we spread out to be a witness of grace that others may see and know and, and discover the love of God offered to us through Christ. Lord, we do lift up all of those around us that have been impacted by the darkness of the world. This pandemic has brought so much darkness. 9-11 brought darkness. War brought darkness. We celebrate the places of light when there are victories for the unborn. We celebrate the, the light where, where even one, believer, one, one person turns away from their old life and turns toward you. Lord, we celebrate the ways that you have been walking with us through the middle of this, that we can see your light in the midst of it all. And we pray that you would help us to continue to proclaim your light in a dark world. Lord God, and we thank you that you have, have given us your incredible grace by calling us your dearly beloved children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.